Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, when you imagine someone having a heart attack, it can seem dramatic. Big symptoms, big response. But for women and people who've been pregnant, their symptoms can look so different that they might not know for sure that a cardiac event is even happening. February is American Heart Month, so we're checking in with a Pittsburgher to talk about what a heart attack really looks like and how to know when maybe it's time to get yourself checked out in advance by a doctor. It's Wednesday, February 7th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. I'm with Dr. Katie Burlocker, the director of the heart program at McGee Women's Hospital. I am sure your days are wild. Thank you so much for making time for us. Thanks for having me. You know, looking at the statistics around heart health in America, it's kind of bleak. The CDC tells us that heart disease is the number one killer in the U.S. And I am gathering from your resume that maybe you think women need a little extra help in this department. Yeah. Why? Why is it important to work specifically with these populations? I do. You know, heart disease, like you said, is the number one killer in America. But it specifically, and I think this is important to say, uh, is, is that it's the number one killer for both men and women. And, you know, in America, we do a really good job of advocating uh, for breast cancer and many mm -hmm. other diseases um, that men and women have. Honestly, though, in America, women's breast cancer gets a lot more attention than women's heart disease. Do you think that it is worse for women in some ways? I think we know that it is worse for worse for women in some ways. Women actually at younger ages, despite the fact that they it is less common to have heart disease diagnosed at younger ages, such as it is uncommon for a woman in her 30s to have a heart attack. That said, we know that when a woman in her 30s has a heart attack, she has worse morbidity and mortality for those next 10 to 15 years than men do and increased rates of death than men do at that same age when they are diagnosed with heart attack. You know, when I think of a heart attack, I think of the the stereotype, the clutched chest, can't breathe, your face goes red. Right. Um, I know intellectually that that is not how it goes for everyone, but that yeah. seems like that's most of what we see portrayed. But it's almost always dudes. It's almost always guys in TV and movies that are going through these experiences. You know, movies are really helpful. Clutching the chest, heaviness, tightness, an elephant sitting on the chest. Um, those are always actually really common. So the most common symptom for a heart attack for both men and women is chest pain, honestly. Mm -hmm. That said, women are more likely to have non-chest pain symptoms, such as neck pain, arm pain, ear pain, um, shortness of breath, nausea when they are exerting themselves. So those things 
are much more common in women than they are in men. Um, that said, still, chest pain is the number one thing that we pay attention to. You have to be real careful, though, with words uh, because women don't always call it pain, right? They'll say, I was oh, about to say, like, pain. some of those things you're describing, like, could just be a really taxing day with a family member, you know? Exactly, exactly. So how do you know the difference? Well, that's, I mean, it's the importance of, of taking a really good history. Thank goodness I like to chat. Um, and I love talking to my patients and ha- getting them to say the same thing in three or four different ways. So I understand exactly what they mean by it wasn't pain. It was just the squeezing around my bra line. And I'll say, hmm, okay, when does that happen? And if they tell me, oh, it only happens when I lay on my left hand side and it goes away when I take a big deep breath, I say, okay. Good news, that is most likely not your heart. That said, it feels like it's really tightening every time I walk up a second flight of stairs and it goes away after I rest for three minutes. Then I say, hmm, I'm going to need to know a little bit more. Tell me about what other physical activity and do you ever get that band or other symptoms um, when you are doing other physical activities such as that? Why are women like that? Why can't we just say we hurt? <laughs> oh gosh, if I if I knew the answer, I don't. I don't struggle with this personally. If I have a low grade headache, everyone in my household <laughs> is aware. Everybody knows. Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit of how you were raised, what your life experiences are, what you were taught. And when I was in undergrad, I, I majored in women's studies, and I think it's very interesting to look at how different genders and culture. Um, are brought up and how they are affected. And we all communicate slightly differently. And you can talk about stereotypes. um, And I think getting away from those stereotypes, even though you can see that there are patterns that are more common in women than there are in men, um, and more common in boys than there are in girls, right? And those lead to behaviors as adults, right? And, you know, a lot of times still in our society, women are the ones who are in charge of the day-to-day tasks for children, for parents, for grandparents, um, for other the mental load. Members. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times because of that responsibility slash burden, maybe it's a joy that you love, regardless of how you categorize it, it usually kind of requires you to put yourself second or third or fourth rather mm-hmm. than first. And that can change the way that you decide to describe certain feelings. And it can also just add stress over time, even if you love it. It's just still another thing that weighs on you, even in the back of your mind while you're doing other things for years. Yes, you would choose it time and time again, but it does have a weight. Yeah. Right. It does have a weight. And carrying that weight over time, um, you know, gets you used to the weight. So sometimes you don't even realize it because it's been going on for so long. Um, But also it, it oftentimes allows you to kind of ignore or put it off. Are there life things that can make it worse? Like I'm thinking about like diet and exercise, of course, though I'm sure genetics play an enormous role in whether that's helpful for you. Right. Right. You're exactly right. There's a lot of things. And and I usually lump these into things that patients can do that they are in control of, such as some of what you talked about, diet, exercise, other things, and then things that we cannot control, such as our genetics um, and and other things that um, women have in their lifeline, in their life in general, that mm-hmm. that men do not have, such as pregnancy, right? Most women, um, if they decide to get pregnant, may have some sort of complication related to future cardiovascular disease, such as high blood pressure or diabetes. And mm-hmm. even worse than high blood pressure would be things like preeclampsia. And we know that these things, which obviously don't occur in male lives, 
increase the risk of future cardiovascular disease. Now, the big question is how and why that is, right? And we think that it is actually linked at a very, very um, kind of small vascular level that increases that risk later on in life. And we're just really getting a kind of signal early on in life during a stressful period such as pregnancy. But there's a lot of other things. I'm impressed that there's any amount of knowledge known about that. So much of my experience being pregnant was being told, oh, we don't know. The science doesn't say because we can't study pregnant bodies. Well, oh, gosh. And uh, if you name the ask me the most frustrating things in um, medical science research. Um, It is that uh, women didn't get studied for a very long time. Mm -hmm. We are now starting to increase the amount of women included in studies. And even grants now are given much more to, to science scientists that are doing both men and women, including all sexes, in a uh, scientific research study. That said, we still are really fearful to study women, right, that in, during their pregnant periods, right? And yeah. honestly, it extends even to women who can get pregnant. So the childbearing years are really hard for us to get, um, you know, safety protocols. Uh, And I think, you know, it's appropriate. It's totally appropriate for us to be cautious about this stage in life. But it has led to a large black box, as you recognize that the answer is oftentimes we don't know. We don't know, Mm -hmm. which uh, we can do better. And is very frustrating as a patient to hear, I'm sure, also as a physician. Right, exactly. And we're left with really being experts, which is fun as a cardiologist who sees a lot of pregnant patients. It is terrific to be able to say, I really deeply understand the physiology and the pathophysiology of both pregnancy and cardiac disease, and then can combine those two to use my my expertise to predict something. But unlike all of my other patients who are not pregnant, I don't have data, thousands, millions of patients who have been studied who can say, when you have this, it can lead to this, this percent of time, right? In pregnancy, we don't have that yet. In a lot of patients, we do have it um, for patients who have preeclampsia, for patients who have gestational diabetes, and we're starting to have more science surrounding um, uh, in vitro fertilization and other conception issues uh, for patients so that we can better understand what it is that they're at risk for in the future. Do you like to dance, look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So just thinking about these risk factors for heart disease, is there like an age that you recommend that people should start making themselves aware of these things? Well, I always say first and foremost, before there's not a specific like check the box age. Um, I will say this. If you have any symptom that comes with exertion and gets better with rest, even if my earlobe gets tight and sore during that, like those are things that you should see regardless of your 25 or 95, you should see somebody for exertional symptoms for sure. Um, but the other time that I think is really important after you're done having babies is the menopausal period. So a lot of times menopause, which is the loss of estrogen in our bodies and estrogen actually is a really lovely hormone um, for our vasculature. So it really helps our vessels react appropriately to dilate appropriately and respond to a lot of um, other agents in the body. When we lose the estrogen, we not only have a change in some of our cholesterol, but we also have a change in some of the way that our vasculature works for some people, not for everybody. So I think it's always appropriate for everybody to go in and see um, at least your primary care physician to see if you have risk factors. Yeah. I mean, risk factors, like could family history play a part in that too? I'm over here mentally counting. I'm in yes. my 30s. <laughs> I have a child. I yeah. have two two grandparents with strokes and one that had a pacemaker. So like, am I, am I iffy? <laughs> sure. You, I mean, a little bit. So family history really catches my attention. Certainly if you have grandparents, okay, parents, sure. But the big thing that I think about is, does anybody in your family, did they have an early heart attack? And for that, I mean men earlier than um, 55 and women earlier than about 55, 60. Um, you get a little bit more grace as a woman just because you have the protection of estrogen until menopause. But, you know, the other numbers that I think about are really important for everybody to know, regardless of your age um, or, you know, honestly, sex, even for that matter, are your blood pressure. So your top number and your bottom number. I would love for everybody to know what your fasting blood sugar is. Okay, so that that's a marker of diabetes. I feel like a lot of people know blood pressure. Very few people know blood blood sugar, blood sugar, fasting, fasting finger prick for that blood sugar. And then the other numbers that I ask people to know would be their cholesterol numbers. So the one cholesterol that I number that I really look at is something called your LDL, which is your lousy or your bad cholesterol. And I say LDL should be low and it's always lousy. Okay. So we want that LDL as low as possible. For and it's it. the HDL that it can be high. Yeah, is that right? You. Okay. Hey, Megan, you're I'm fancy. pulling it back from sixth yeah. grade. Yeah. HDL is your good or happy cholesterol, and we want that to be high. Okay. So your H's and your L's. LDL is lousy. You want it to be low. HDL is happy, and you want it to be high. And then one other thing that I put in the mix of things, and I know that there are a lot of feelings out there to this number nowadays, um, but the BMI, we know that elevated BMIs or body mass index um, is related to increased cardiovascular risk in the future, whether it's through hypertension, development of diabetes, or a sedentary life. And so we really like people to achieve as low of a kind of healthy BMI as they possibly can. I don't need everybody to be perfect, um, mm-hmm. but we do know that that is another risk factor. And then the biggest one, I was just talking to a patient about this today, 
no smoking. Um, if you are having any, and that includes vaping. Um, so smoking and vaping uh, really does increase your risk of future cardiovascular disease. Yeah, I can imagine the conversations about BMI. It is an imperfect number, but I imagine it it's is. like one, just one more thing that you yeah. check in on. Yeah, it is. Good to know. Well, we are definitely glad that you are doing this work here in Pittsburgh at UPMC. Are your fellow doctors doing it too, or even yeah. medical students? Like, yeah. are people being trained on kind of how all this is evolving over time, and that maybe women yeah. do need like this smidge of extra attention? Yeah, we do. We we do. Um, not not to be attention hogs, but um, you know, we, we I think we deserve the same amount of attention as others. Um, and you know, with that said, there are many other vulnerable populations who have not gotten the attention that they deserve, such yeah. as um, people of color, um, such as those who are in the LGBTQIA space. Um, we know that those patients who are considered minorities, but honestly, women are not minorities, right? We make up 50% or maybe mm-hmm. 51%, depending on what statistic you're looking at. Um, so it's just a vulnerable population that has not been studied as well as others. And I think bringing attention to that is will really kind of behoove us with regards to teaching patients um, about the things that they need to be aware of and giving them the power to really take control of their life. We know that 50% or more of the disease from a cardiovascular standpoint in America can actually be stopped with good behaviors, meaning diet, exercise, decreasing stress, increasing sleep. Like those, this actually is like doable. Like we can prevent this. It's really just us getting the, the information into the hands of everyone out there. And do you see a role for maybe family members to participate in some of these conversations as well? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, provided it's a it's a friendly conversation and supportive, not nagging, right? Um, yeah, nagging relationships go, are good, all of that. Yeah, yeah, nagging can go actually a little bit of a ways with a lot of my patients and their partners that they bring in. But I think, you know, it's really important to have good behaviors with the people that you're living with. So it's not like you're going to cook your own dinner and then everybody else gets the unhealthy cardiac meal or you're going to go for a walk while everybody else sits and watches TV for five hours, right? Those are the things that you can do together that that your family members or your friends can celebrate the health of each other together and really get into those good um, good habits as a group. Well, and uh, before we let you go, I hear that February is also American Heart Month. It is. Do you do anything personally to mark the occasion? Oh, we do. Yeah, well, I do a ton. Uh, I've, I've, <laughs> I, you know, I actually have a lot of events and other things that I get to talk at, which is really exciting. Um, talking about what the risk factors for everybody are. Um, you know, I am not shy about talking to patients, family members when they come in to make sure that they too know what their blood pressure are and their blood sugar and all their cholesterol numbers are. Yeah, we'll have information on any of the screening events that we can find in our show notes and in our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. Dr. Burlocker, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thanks so much for having me, Megan. It was a joy. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please tell someone, rate us, leave us a nice review, and subscribe to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. If you want more information about heart health, but also how to keep your heart happy, we've got so much in there, um, especially some recommendations for Valentine's Day. Please check it out. It's all online, pittsburgh.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. I would put red uh, gloves on all the NFL athletes and basketball players and, you know, all the women's uh, women's athletes out there, too, because it really does get the word out.